Lord, that we are given new life. Lord, we are given hope, and we are given the gospel that you have done all so that we could stand before God and we could be counted holy and righteous because you are holy and righteous. So God, today we ask, even if those promises, even if those truths do not ring true to us, Lord, that we are reminded again they are true because you are faithful, you are good. So be with Nate today, God, as he opens your word, as we are reminded again, as the, the scriptures are preached of the gospel on our lives and who Christ is for us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. Jesus is better. as a declaration, and I love that truth that we can sing together. Happy Mother's Day. If, you, uh, if my mom is watching, happy Mother's Day to you. We love you. Uh, I want to just say thank you so much to the mothers that are here this morning, and you are, are truly, and we don't say this enough, you are truly a blessing to your family, but you're also a blessing to our church. You are a huge gift to our church, and so we thank you for all that you do. And I also want to recognize, I, I, I know that Mother's Day is one of those holidays that for many it's a great celebration, but for some it's also a, a reminder of loss in their life or things that they've never had. And so uh, I recognize that it is both a celebration for us, but it is also at times uh, a moment of, of grief. Uh, really, motherhood is like that, though. If you think about it, motherhood in very many ways is both a blessing and a curse at the same time. Uh, it's very joyful, but it's also agonizing. I know every time that I have watched Cam give birth to one of our kids, I'm reminded of both the, the immense joy that comes from that, but also the intense pain that comes from that. And, and really, think about that. That originates way back in Genesis chapter 3, right? When God is giving out the curses after the fall in Genesis 3.15, he, he says that, look, there is a blessing that comes through childbirth. He says that, uh, eventually, one of the offspring of Eve would, would crush Satan, would bruise his head. And so salvation would come through the birth of a woman. So you see the blessing, but in the very next verse, what does he say to the woman? He says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. And so the, the pain and the joy that you experience as a mom that begins right at the birth of your children, it, that, that really sets the tone, doesn't it, for the rest of the childbearing experience and the rest of that relationship that you have with your kids. I know right now we're about to send Hannah off to, to college, and there is both joy and pain involved in that. And many of you parents are with me right now with that, and you're, you've just gone through it. I'm looking out. And I see some of you have just uh, survived the first year of college. And so uh, you know what it's like. that We, we look back at these pictures uh, of her growing up, and we, uh, we have tears of joy and also sadness at the same time because we remember these wonderful moments, but we also recognize that we won't get those moments again. And we're excited for her to go off, but we kind of wish we could just send her off in a bubble and leave her <laughs> that way. Of course, we can't do that. And so motherhood has all sorts of joys, but also all sorts of agony. But today, what I want to do, what I want to focus on is hopefully good news to you. 
in Christ, there is amazing blessings for us that give us refuge, that give us peace, that give us hope for us, for our kids. And the message today, of course, is not just for moms. These blessings are for all who are in Christ. Those two words, in Christ, we often just kind of breeze over. And I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon on just two words, but we're actually going to spend two sermons on this, one for Mother's Day, and again, we're going to come back to this in Father's Day. But those two words, in Christ, are so huge. They're so significant, so important. In fact, the Apostle Paul mentions being in Christ or in the Lord or in Him around 160 times in his letters. I want you to think about this. If you pulled all of Paul's writings out of the New Testament, it would make about, oh, about 100 pages in, in your Bible. So if an author wrote a book that was about 100 pages long, and on every single page, often multiple times, you see the same two words over and over and over, you might conclude that it's significant. You might even conclude that this may be his main point. Theologians call this the doctrine of the union or our union with Christ. And and so a doctrine is just what does the whole Bible say about one specific topic? So the doctrine of our union with Christ is extremely important for us to understand. In fact, theologian John Murray called it the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. A.W. Pink said the subject of spiritual union is the most important, the most profound, and yet the most blessed of any that is set forth in sacred scripture. Anthony Hokema wrote, Once you have your eyes opened to this concept of union with Christ, you will find it almost everywhere in the New Testament. And so today, this is my prayer, this is my hope, that we would have our eyes opened, our spiritual eyes opened by God more so that we could see more clearly what it means to be united with Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? I hope that after today we, we read the Bible a little bit differently. We don't just like scan over when we see those words in Christ, but we see how prevalent it is in the New Testament. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at a, a couple key passages. We're going to start, and you can go ahead and open up in your Bibles to John 15. We're going to take a look at two metaphors that help us understand what it means to be in Christ. John 15 is one of those, and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 also. And then we're going to talk about all the blessings that pour out of this relationship that we have because we're in Christ. We have this union with Christ. And then finally, we're going to spend a little bit of time just talking very practically about how this impacts and what this means for motherhood and for parenting. And so I recognize that this doctrine, this concept, this idea, is, it's hard for us to get our head wrapped around it. It's even harder for us to get our heart wrapped around it. And so I think it would be appropriate for us to go to the Lord in prayer because we definitely need some help in getting this and understanding it and embracing it. So pray with me one more time. Father, often it is so easy for us to neglect this profound, this amazing doctrine of our union with you and all that it means and and how it impacts every part of our life. And today, uh, we also recognize that 
in our humanity, we struggle. We, we, it is so difficult for us to understand this. It's so mystical and so amazing. It's hard for us to get our heads wrapped around it. It's even harder for us to get our hearts wrapped around it. And so I pray that you would help our hearts believe. Like we sang about earlier, I, I, I plead with you that your Holy Spirit would open up our spiritual eyes that we might more clearly see the huge blessing that we have by being in you and what all that means for us and all the implications of that. Help us to see that in Scripture. Help me to explain it clearly. And more than anything, help us believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about what it means. Like I said, there are several metaphors in the Bible that help us to wrap our minds and our hearts around this doctrine. We've got time to look at like two of them this morning. And then we'll, like I said, we'll come back to this on Father's Day. And so we're going to start in John chapter 15. And so this is Jesus, uh, really, he, he calls himself the vine and we are the branches. So, so that's the metaphor, Okay. Uh, Jesus is the, is the vine and we are the branches. And so I'm going to pick up and I'm just going to read a couple verses, verses 4 and 5. And this is where Jesus says, abide in me. Okay, so think about what does it mean to abide in something? It means you're in something. So if you're a fish and you go into a fish tank, you're now abiding in the fish tank. The, the water is all around you. Okay, abide. Abide in me and I in you. And so how does Jesus abide in us? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being not just with us or beside us, but in us. So abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Martin Luther, and by the way, uh, if you haven't uh, pulled up, you can see my sermon notes if you scan the little QR code that's in front of you. Uh, and the passage of scripture is in there. This quote is in there from Martin Luther. Uh, this quote from Martin Luther, I think, really helps us understand. So this is from a sermon that he preached on John 15. And this is what Martin Luther says. He says, when I am... Converted by the gospel, the Holy Spirit is present. He takes me as clay and makes of me a new creature which is endowed with a different mind, heart, and thoughts. That is, with a true knowledge of God and a sincere trust in His grace. To summarize, the very essence of my heart is renewed and changed. This makes me a new plant one that is grafted on Christ the vine and grows from him. So listen to this. He says, My holiness, righteousness, and purity do not stem from me, nor do they depend upon me. They come solely from Christ and are based only in him, in who I am rooted by faith just as the sap flows from the stalk into the branches. Now I am like him and of his kind. Both he and I are of one nature and essence, and I bear fruit in him and through him. This fruit is not mine, it is the vine's. 
I love that quote. There's so much. I want to unpack this a little bit here because he has so many good things to say. First of all, he points out that when we are converted, what does he mean by that? In other words, when the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes to see that we are sinners, that our sin is rebellion against God, and that has created this barrier between us and God, and it, we deserve his wrath, and there is nothing in us that can remove that barrier or remove that we deserve that wrath. There's nothing inside us, nothing that we can do, and we recognize that, and we also recognize that, okay, we need a Savior, and Jesus Christ, who came and died, lived the life that we should have lived and could not live and died the death that we deserve and we trust in him, what happens is this physician comes in, Jesus, who performs this spiritual eye surgery and opens up our eyes to see all of our need for him and trust in him through the Holy Spirit. And, and what we see here is that Luther is saying that this the Holy Spirit actually does more than just eye surgery. He actually gives us a heart transplant gives us a whole new heart. We call that, the big fancy theological word for that is regeneration. He changes us completely, changes our heart, changes our very nature. We're a new creation. We have a new heart, a new mind, a new thoughts, so that now we can know and we can trust in his grace. And so Luther goes on to say that it's like we are a new plant that has been grafted into Christ the vine. And so all of our spiritual growth comes from him. Our growth in holiness, our growth in righteousness, our growth in purity, they don't stem from me, he says, nor do they depend upon me. They come solely from Christ and are based only in him. I know one of the things that God has really been pressing in on me as, uh, as a pastor, as a, as a parent right now is actually to focus less on the fruit and more on the vine. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, the fruit is good, okay? And, and we want good fruit. We want spiritual fruit, love and joy and peace. But think how many like self-help books there are out there or Bible studies there are out there that really just focused on, on the fruit and how to improve the fruit. It's almost kind of like what we do often, I think. And, and don't get me wrong, it's, it's not bad. That's a good desire to want fruit, Okay? But often what I see us doing is that it's almost like we detach ourselves from the vine and we try to like water and put more sun on our, our branch and we, we feed the fruit and, and we were wondering, okay, why am I, I'm working so hard but I'm not getting anywhere. Well, perhaps it's because we've got these man-made strategies that we're working on and we're, we've taken our eye, we've focused so much on the fruit that we've taken our eyes off the vine. I think that's what this passage is getting at. Jesus is saying, look, you can do nothing apart from me. Abide in me. You want, you want to see fruit grow in your life? Abide in me. Trust in me. Rest in me. Because you can do nothing apart from me. Our union with Christ is so crucial for producing fruit, spiritual fruit in our life. And so this first metaphor, this says union with Christ is like being engrafted, like a branch engrafted to a vine, Jesus, who is life-giving and fruit-producing in us. So that's one metaphor. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5. I want to take a look at another metaphor. In Ephesians chapter 5, this is the Apostle Paul, and he uses marriage 
as a metaphor to describe this union that we have with Christ. And so in the context of what's going on here, Paul has just described this complementary roles that men and women play in the, in the marriage relationship. And then Paul, at the very end, he says this in verse 31. In verse 31, he says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis there. Okay, so he's grounding this in the creation. This is, God has created us this way. And then he says this, this mystery is actually, this is profound. And as he's saying mystery there, he's not saying that it's unable, like we're not able to grasp it. He said, okay, this is like something new and, and profound that you need to understand. He's saying that it refers to Christ in the church. The reason that marriage between a man and a woman is so sacred is because it points to a much greater reality. It points to this metaphor of Christ, the relationship between Christ and the church. I'm going to go back to Luther again. He, he's got some really wise words once again. Uh, in his work called Concerning Christian Liberty, he describes this union through an illustration of a king choosing to marry a harlot. And, and though their marriage, through their marriage union, the harlot becomes a queen. And all that belongs to the king becomes hers. And so she's, at once, she becomes royalty. Her filthy rags are replaced with with royal robes. And not only that, the king assumes and took on all of her transgressions, all of her debts as his own. And so this is what Luther says. And we'll put this up on the screen too, yeah. Christ that rich and pious husband takes as a wife a needy and impious harlot, redeeming her from all her evils and supplying her with all his good things. It is impossible now that her sins should destroy her since they have been laid upon Christ and swallowed up in him. And since she has in her husband Christ, a righteousness which she may claim as her own and which she can set up with confidence against all her sins, against death and hell, saying, if I have sinned, my Christ in whom I believe has not sinned. All mine is his and all his is mine. That's what happens when you get married, right? All of your debt becomes their debt, and all of their debt becomes your debt, and everything that you own becomes theirs, and everything that they own becomes yours. That's the picture that we have here. In our union with Christ, this is not merely an idea or a teaching to understand. This is a reality. This is a reality. It's true. Whether, Whether you understand it fully or not, or whether you feel this union or not all the time, that doesn't change the reality of it. We are genuinely and deeply united to our Savior. We are His, and He is ours through this unbreakable bond. He will never divorce us. We are in Him, and His Spirit is in us. And so because of this union, because of this ingrafting and life, this life-giving, this fruit-producing, ingrafting, this marriage to the King of Kings, we are given unimaginable blessings. And I want to just kind of read Scripture and let Scripture speak for itself here. Because salvation from beginning to end is in Christ. 
And I think we're going to like walk down some of the Romans road. Okay, some of you grew up learning the Romans road, right? But most of you have probably just kind of glazed over all the in Christ moments in the Roman road. And so let me read some of these to you. So Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we often stop there, right? Verse 24, though. And are justified by the grace as a gift through the redemption that is what? In Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Everything that is his belongs to us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, I think summarizes it really well. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let me break down that verse a little bit. So it's in Christ that we are justified. Okay, so in other words, it's in Christ that we are declared righteous by God. Okay, so like in a court of law, justified is, is a good courtroom word. And so in a court of law, if the judge says you are justified, it means you are declared righteous, you are innocent in my eyes. You're, it, the word sanctified here also is really important. So we're not just justified, but we're also sanctified. We're set apart. We're made into the image of Christ. In other words, we owe all of our Christian growth and our, all of our maturity to being in union with Christ. And so the only thing we have to boast in then is Jesus. We bring nothing to the table, not for salvation, not for sanctification. Jesus does it all from beginning to end because we are united in him. Now, that doesn't remove all, like, our responsibility, okay? There's still responsibility there, but here's the thing. All of it, all of our responsibility ultimately is empowered by Christ, it doesn't come from us like white-knuckling it or trying harder. It comes from us resting in and, and finding our, our place in Christ, our identity in Christ, trusting in Him and watching Him grow us from the inside out. Skip over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, here's another great blessing that we have in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to see that Christ binds us so completely to Himself that we come to share in all that he is as, as a Savior. And this includes the blessing of, of sonship. We're adopted in Christ. We are adopted as his sons. Uh, and the reason he doesn't say sons and daughters is because in that culture, who got the inheritance? It's the sons. Okay, so it's significant that he says sonship. In Christ, we're adopted. In Christ, we come, and this is... This is Amazing. If you really get your head around this, in Christ, this is what it means, that we share in the same love that the Father has for the Son. The, the, the relationship that the Father and the Son have, that same, that very same love 
belongs to us and is lavished down upon us, poured out on us. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, or in other words, in Christ. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance. And I love how Paul right there, he says, we've already got it, Okay. Not fully, right? Not literally right now. We don't, we don't have all the inheritance. But in Paul's mind, it is so sure. It is so secure. It's like it's already happened. In him, we've already obtained this inheritance. And it's because we are in Christ also that we have a whole different identity. We view ourselves completely different. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I think if you would ask the Apostle Paul, this is why we're not outside, by the way. <laughs> I think if you asked the Apostle Paul uh, back then, okay, at the core of who you are, how would you describe yourself? Who, who are you really, Paul? I don't think he would call himself a Christian, first of all. One, because the term Christian back then hadn't really become popular yet. In fact, it's only mentioned like four times in the New Testament, and it's pretty much only used by people outside of Christ kind of making fun of Christians. And so I don't think he would call himself a Christian. I don't think that's a bad term for us to call ourselves, but I don't think he would say that. Uh, I also don't think he would call himself, at the core of who he is, I don't think he would say, look, I'm an apostle, or I'm a missionary, or I'm a tent maker. Uh, often we describe ourselves by what we do, but the apostle Paul didn't find his value, he didn't find his his worth. He didn't find his purpose in what he did. I think Paul would say, if you asked him, okay, at the core of who you are, what would you say, Paul? I think he would just say, I'm in Christ. That's who I am. I'm in Christ. And that's essentially what he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith and the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. One more blessing that I want to mention. Uh, and this is one that I really didn't even see before. I really started digging into this doctrine of our union with Christ this week. And, and it's that in Christ, that's what unites us as a church family. In fact, what I noticed as I was studying this is the vast majority of the times where this union with Christ is mentioned in the New Testament, it's in the context not of individuals being in Christ, but in the church as a corporate in Christ. We are so hyperly individualized. Like everything, we think of our personal relationship with Christ as the most important thing. We think of, and so when we think of the doctrine of the union with Christ, immediately we start thinking to just me and him. But the vast majority, in fact, on Father's Day, we're going to dig into this more because I think there's so much here. But gosh, there is so much in the New Testament that talks about when 
in Christ. It's us in Christ. It's the church being in Christ. In fact, the family t-shirts that, like Perry, and I see several of you have on right now, um, that verse, Romans 12, 5, do you know what it says? It says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And so we're going to dig more into that on Father's Day, and I cannot wait to do that. I think that's where our unity comes from. It's not just that we have some things that we agree on. It's that we're in Christ together. That's a reality that should change everything. And so let me, let me kind of close this out with one last illustration that I heard from another pastor. Another pastor calls this union with Christ a circle of security is how he describes it. And I really appreciate that illustration. And so let's say that this circle represents Christ. And so uh, Leah has much better handwriting than me, so she did this, by the way. But <laughs> you can see, if you're going to describe who Christ is, these are just some of the things, okay, that describe Christ, that he's righteous, that he's innocent, never sinned, that he is victorious over death and over sin and over Satan, that he is perfectly obedient, that he is the Son, that he is holy, that he is sanctified, set apart, that he is resurrected, that he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And so if you're in Christ, and so let's say this dot is you, and if we're, we're we are in Christ, there should be lots of dots in here, because this is the church, right? Not just one of us. And so this is us, right? If we're in Christ, we've got this circle of security that means that when God looks at us, what does he see? He doesn't see your failure. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ. If Satan tries to throw an accusation at you, it's got to get through Christ to get to you. It doesn't happen. There is no condemnation. There is no judgment because you are in Christ. Everything that is Christ is yours. This is who you are. And I recognize, I know that this is hard for us to get our, our mind wrapped around, but let's, let's just talk very practically right now for a few minutes on, okay, as a mother, what does this mean for you? And this has huge implications, not just for moms or for everybody, but because it's Mother's Day, I wanted to focus in on just some implications of this reality. This means that when you are exhausted as a mom, when you're overwhelmed, when you feel like you're running on fumes, when you're... You feel like you're just unable to accomplish anything. You can remember that you are united to Christ, to the gentle and lowly Jesus who has compassion on you, especially in those moments, who doesn't, uh, he, he, he knows, he knows that you're, you're never going to be that super mom that you want to be. But in spite of that, he does everything for you. He, he fills in the gaps that you leave behind because of your failures in parenting. He, he offers you rest in him, in Christ. He, he does it all. And so you don't have to be that super mom. In fact, being in Christ means that you also never are truly alone. Uh, if you're a single mom, this is, this is especially for you. This means when the challenges of life come, you can remember that you're united to Christ. You can cling to him. You can draw strength from him. You can rejoice 
in him. It means also that like when mom guilt starts rising in your heart and you, you feel like a failure, you feel inadequate because your child is having another tantrum in the, in the middle of the grocery store or, or, or in church or, or you've forgotten your, your, soc- your the soccer jersey for your kid at home or, or, or whatever else, you can remember that your life is hidden in Christ and neither your performance nor your child's performance changes his attitude towards you. Your life meaning, your purpose, your your worth, your value are not based on how well you mother or how well your children behave. I know that this is hard to get our heads wrapped around. It's even harder to get our hearts wrapped around this. And perhaps you're thinking right now, yeah, I know this is true, but I just don't feel that connected to Christ. I don't feel that union with Christ. But the good news is, that ultimately your feelings don't change this reality. Your feelings don't change this reality. It is true whether or not you feel it or not. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In a minute, we're going to be singing this song that Christ is our treasure. We're going to make that declaration. And again, you may not always feel that, but that doesn't change the truth of that and so we can declare that together and you we we this is how we grow in our hearts grow in, in really grasping this it's through faith of course it's through faith and how does our faith grow well, the bible says it's it's through the word it's through coming together as the church and so if you look at the word it's kind of like water that that helps you grow and you, and you you look at the church as the soil at which it grows in, and, and so it's you coming consistently, regularly, hearing the word being preached, singing the word, hearing the word being read, singing the word. This is why we sing together. This is what corporate, corporate worship is not watching people up on stage sing a song. Corporate worship is us singing the truths of the gospel to one another. And that's a picture of heaven right there. That's the beauty of it. And so when we're, out, when we're out here, we ought to be singing loudly so that, not so that people think that we're good singers, okay, but so that other people hear the truths of the words. And through that, our faith grows. And so you being here is going to help you grow to understand this. And over years and years of consistent just being bathed in the word of God and being together and fellowshipping and communion when we share communion together that's another way that God builds our faith because we get to see a picture of his grace right in front of us and so maybe you're sitting here today too and you're like I, you know I don't know if I am united I, maybe I'm not even united to Christ and this is what I would say how do you know that you're united to Christ well, it's simple. If it's through faith, if God's opened up your eyes to recognize, and you know that you're a sinner, you know that you've rebelled against God, and there, there's that barrier there, right, that you can't get rid of on your own, and you know you deserve the wrath of God. It doesn't matter how many, how much you give to the poor. It doesn't matter how many old ladies you cross across the street. You recognize you will never make up for the things that you've done wrong. Your eyes have been opened to that to see, okay, I need a Savior. I need somebody outside of me to come and, and save me from my sin. And you recognize that Jesus Christ 
loves you so much that he was willing to pay the ultimate price for you, that he shed his blood to pay the penalty that you deserve, and forgiveness is offered through that blood, and you recognize that, and you have accepted that free gift, and you trust in Christ as your Savior. You, no matter what you feel, you can know that this reality is yours, and you are in Christ, and nothing can take that away. Nothing can take you out of Christ once you're in Christ. That's the circle of security, and that is good news for us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the grace that you give us and bringing us into you and and placing your Holy Spirit in us. And again, we we wrestle with this concept and we, we struggle to believe it, but we know that it is only through you gifting us faith that we will truly grasp this in our hearts and in our minds. And so we plead with you to continue to help us see clearly this reality. And as we proclaim this declaration that you are our treasure, I pray that that would seep deep down into our hearts and that we truly would treasure you above everything else in this world. And that forever and ever and ever we would declare that. For all of eternity, that would be our joy and that would be our treasure. Thank you so much for your word and for your spirit and for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. And so once again, as we move into a time of communion, as we celebrate and we see this visual picture of the grace that has been given to us, if you're a believer I would love for you to join us in the celebration. Uh, This is for believers.